Hello, and welcome to the World of Growth podcast. As you know, startups have already come to shape the world we live in today. Everyone, from a farmer in Nigeria to a banker in New York, has had their life shaped by startups. You have heard the story of Silicon Valley, but what about Silicon Lagoon in Lagos, or Station F in Paris? Over 100 unicorn startups are now located outside the US. It's time to hear about the ecosystems they call home, and what's coming next. For our third episode, we are excited to have Jilun Ong from Plug and Play in Singapore joining us. Plug and Play connects startups and corporate partners around the world and is an important nexus of the Singapore startup community. They are well positioned to know all about what it takes to start a company locally. Let's learn more. Jilun, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on this podcast. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, thanks for inviting. Yeah. yeah happy, sure. happy to uh, um, do this uh, podcast to share some of my thoughts of the ecosystem. Of course, yeah, always happy to help. Sure. So can you tell us about your own background and then how you came to work at Plug and Play in Singapore, what exactly your role there is, and then you know, what Plug and Play does as an organization. Okay, sure. So let me start off with a, a brief introduction about Plug and Play. So Plug and Play is a global VC accelerator as well as a corporate innovation platform. We are headquartered in Silicon Valley. We have offices in 20 plus countries. We invest in early stage startups sized between 100 to 200,000 US dollars. We also run vertical specific accelerator programs and also we work with currently up to 300 plus corporate partners globally and what we do is we help them by sourcing for startups and technologies and introducing these technologies to them to satisfy the uh, innovation needs so a little bit about my background is that um, I actually graduated from uh, the local university in Singapore. It's called NUS, National mm-hmm. University of Singapore. And I did actually mechanical engineering, which is something mm. totally unrelated. And how I got into this industry is actually quite random and by chance. My first uh, job was actually in a bank mm. uh, doing operations. And I subsequently got into a startup and I was doing sales. And uh, the, the next job after the startup was a little bit more relevant in terms of it being startup grant kind of incubator. And I was managing the, uh, the grant over there. So mm-hmm. they got me connected with the startup ecosystem, the startups, as well as the VCs. And I got to know plug and play. And coincidentally, uh, it was my junior college friend recruited me because he was in plug and play. Yeah. Oh, I got it. It's all about the networks. And um, it's actually interesting. I know you went to NUS, and it seems that a lot of people in the venture and startup ecosystem went to NUS in Singapore. Can you talk a little bit about the impact that NUS has had on the whole ecosystem? Yeah. So NUS has been really active in the startup ecosystem here in Singapore. So they have this entrepreneurship arm they call NUS Enterprise. What they do is they actually uh, help build the ecosystem in terms of incubating tech startups, funding them, as well as providing all sorts of um, you know, help and services for these uh, companies. They it, Initially, they are focusing a little bit more in, in helping NUS alumni, but I guess over the years, uh, they evolved a little bit and you know they also help uh, non-NUS alumni nowadays. Right. So they, they actually organize a lot of activities, events, networking events, talks and speaker Ooh. sessions. 
So, you know, the, the entire community can actually benefit from what they're doing. The other thing that they do is also they, they, they also spin off uh, NUS technologies as, as um, startups as well. So oh, got these it. are the things that they actually do. Yeah. Got it. And so this actually ties pretty nicely into the first topic I want to cover, which is the beginnings of the startup ecosystem in Singapore. It sounds like NUS had a partial role to play in that, but can you tell me more about how the startup ecosystem here began and then how it grew over time? Yeah. So I think one point I failed to mention the previous question was not just NUS Enterprise, but NUS itself. They also have curriculum that is focused on uh, entrepreneurship, right? So there's this program called NUS Overseas Colleges. It's a program where uh, NUS students can actually apply for, and uh, what they do is they place students overseas in uh, tech hubs and entrepreneurship hubs globally. One of it, of course, is Silicon Valley. And uh, the, the whole idea is to get the students, you know, interning in startups so that they pick up the skills in, uh, you know, starting companies. And uh, of course, they also attend some lessons over there, uh, but uh, the lessons are also mm-hmm. focused on entrepreneurship. Right. So after, hopefully after they finish their stint, one year overseas and they come back, they are more exposed to foreign ecosystem and be able to uh, start companies on their own. So I actually graduated from that program as well. Right. So yes, so NUS is playing a major role here, but right now I think all the other IHLs, institutes of higher learning, the mm-hmm. other universities have already jumped onto the bandwagon as well. Mm-hmm. So they has their own you know, entrepreneurship program as well. Got it. What do you think really kickstarted the beginning of the ecosystem? Was there a particular event that you could point to that really launched things off? I don't think there's a particular event. So from my perspective, from my experience, is startup ecosystem here in Singapore actually began roughly around 2010-11. That is actually where the government actually started to uh, release grants, tech technology grants that actually fund technology startups and companies, right? Back then, these grants are pretty fragmented. So Mm -hmm. different agencies offering different uh, grants and uh, startups would be able to, you know, go to one agency with a different criteria, apply for the grant itself. Mm -hmm. So that actually began uh, back then. So some of the government agencies that actually offer the grants, NRF, which is the National Research Foundation, MDA, Media Authority, uh, Development Authority of Singapore, as well as Spring, which is the uh, SME kind of agency. So all these agencies actually try to promote uh, Mm -hmm. and tech. So um, so that was the beginning, and NUS being the, the main university here right. in Singapore and also an active player in entrepreneurship space, so they were one of the first anchor tenants mm-hmm. on this place called, this building called Block 71, mm-hmm. and Block 71 was kind of the, the, the place where it all began, right? Right. So the history of Block 71 is another story, but I summarize it quickly. So basically, Block 71 is used to be old flattered factory. So it's a light industrial mm. estate. And after the tenants actually moved out and the government actually wanted to demolish the area to build uh, more modern offices, but they sort of uh, you know had an idea to actually allow right. startups to move in. To that building. So the first anchor tenant was actually NUS and oh, got it. Uh, Singtel Innovate, which is the of uh, Singtel. 
Got it. Yeah. So the ecosystem actually started from there. So startups started to move in. Demand was more than supply. They started to furbish uh, surrounding buildings as well, hmm. old flatter factories, and the ecosystem started to grow from there. And uh, you know, more and more startups coming in, uh, so they had to build new buildings. So right now, the area was is kind of one of the more densely populated hmm. uh, startup ecosystem. I don't know around the world. Huh. So that's kind of like the Silicon Valley of Singapore. Right. right. Uh, it sounds like it's been very successful. And I'm curious, like you mentioned, like grants, the Blossom Road Initiative, among other government things that that worked. Are you aware of anything that the government tried that didn't work, that was um, not successful? I'm not too sure this of this part. I guess in general, what our government actually uh, roll out in terms of initiatives were always very calculated, and um, uh, I I don't think they just roll something out like that, but. They actually go through mm-hmm. a trial and you know testing the market before they actually roll it out.、Mm-hmm. But I guess one thing that I would say is the initial phase when when the grants were being rolled out,、uh, it was a little bit haphazard sense because agencies actually acted independently.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so there were like、uh, many grants out there, and there was a there wasn't a focus.、Uh, back to the question of the evolution, right? Uh, so after that, I think they kind of saw that fragmentation, and the government actually tried to unify all the grants into a single agency,、mm-hmm. and they actually rebranded all the different grants into a, a one unified brand. So right now,、mm-hmm. uh, there's only one agency offering all these grants, and、uh, it's very clear in terms of stages of the funding as well. So everything、Got、is、it. more streamlined. Yeah, and and、uh, back to your question of the tech evolution. Cool. Okay, so back to your question about the evolution of the startup ecosystem. So the tech actually also evolved from the early days to now. So how it has actually changed was、uh, during the early days, the startups that actually popped up or emerged are、uh, the more simpler technologies,、uh, the marketplaces like Property Guru, sorry, sorry, marketplaces like Caro, Carousel. We have aggregators like、uh, Property Guru and Money Smart, and also of course e-commerce platforms like Lazada, Zalora,、mm-hmm. and Redmart. Right, these are the more less sophisticated technologies,、mm-hmm. and that actually popped up, you know, around twenty eleven, twenty ten. And、uh, as the market saturates, you know,、uh, the government realized that grants now they are fo- they are focusing in deep tech.、Mm-hmm. So they're a little bit more. So the criteria for obtaining the grants would be that you need to、uh, you need to show that you are you are doing something, you know, sophisticated, right? Deep technology. I see.、So、that brought more focus to the grants. That's right. That's made right. them more effective. Yeah. So because of that, and the startups that start to you know emerge、uh, after that, all、uh, AI companies, machine learning companies, companies that utilize AI, machine learning, neural networks,、mm-hmm. and things like that. So got that's it. That's how it kind of evolved. Got it. It sounds like that was very planned by the government by creating these grants specifically targeted at that, right? Sort of. Yes. <laughs> yes. In a sense. Got it. And、um, I'm also curious, like we talked a bit about the the sectors, I guess that the government was trying to create. But I think something else that Singapore has been very good at is just attracting quality founders from other regions. So I'd love to hear your perspective on what Singapore has done to do that.、Mm. So I would say policies that were effective in attracting founders from overseas were essentially two things, right? One is the grants that the government would、uh, were giving out. So this actually very much mitigate the risk、uh, founders as well as、mm-hmm. the risks of investors as well because 
the government actually comes in to co-fund the investment mm -hmm. and it's favorable to the investor because the investor gets to uh, buy back the shares at a par value or you know some some sort of that kind of arrangement so that was actually a good deal for the investors so it actually encouraged you know third party incubators uh VCs mm -hmm. to actually come in to look at you know startups in general mm -hmm. right got it that's one thing the other thing is i would say is the relaxing of like visa requirements for entrepreneurs like mm -hmm. foreign entrepreneurs so there's this thing called entree pass where basically the government, the Ministry of Manpower, mm -hmm. they actually fast track and um, you know create a more easy, obtainable visa for uh, foreign entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so these are the two po main policies I would I would identify as effective, and uh, of course um, the other thing would be the the environmental factors, right? Mm -hmm. So Singapore being uh, strategically located in the center of Southeast Asia. Uh, access to the surrounding markets about 600 million right um, what is good in singapore is uh, we have good infrastructure political stability mm -hmm. uh, good talent pool ease of doing business ip protection you know and things like that so got it examples of uh, you know startups that actually were from uh, overseas would be grab grab originally came from malaysia right uh, they've made their headquarters in singapore right now um, Lazada as well hmm. is also started by Rocket Internet. Redmart is founded by a, a foreigner. And then, of course, Food Panda and Deliveroo as well. Yeah. Got it. And I, I know you mentioned that one of the things the government did was enable like, incubators and investors to buy back their shares. Do you see a trend where investors here generally look for shorter term exits? Mm, in general, I, I, don't, I don't see it. But of course, I guess uh, we, we haven't really seen any, I would say there, there are some uh, unicorns around already, mm -hmm. but I would say that we haven't seen any startups that actually have been through the entire cycle to IPO. Right. So, you know, we, we can't really comment a lot about that as well. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, do you think we'll see that soon? I do, I do see that we are beginning to see uh, a few companies that are in the position to do that. For example, Grab is big enough, you know, to consider an IPO. But I guess due to the recent IPOs of mm. Lyft and Uber not doing quite well, I guess they might delay that. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And, you know, Singapore, of course, is doing very well. There are other regional players that are starting to do pretty well as well, like, you know, Indonesia, Vietnam, and others. What are your thoughts on those ecosystems growing and eventually potentially attracting talent from Singapore? And do you think that they will potentially eventually surpass Singapore for their own ecosystems? There, there definitely is a, a to Singapore in terms of uh, them surpassing us as a startup ecosystem. But right now, I don't, I don't think any of nearby ecosystems have surpassed us. I guess the nearest one would be, sorry, the, the closest one to, you know, be, being a better ecosystem than us would be uh, Indonesia. So reason being, it, it has the biggest market in Southeast Asia, right? It mm -hmm. has a population and it has already seen a significant interest in terms of foreign uh, companies coming in to do business mm -hmm. uh, to capture the huge market for example uh, you know chinese companies china companies alibaba coming in to acquire to partner with amtech to create this payment uh, system called dana right? mm -hmm. 
and of course, uh, investor, foreign investors going into Indonesia to invest in the uh, Indonesian startups, for example, Firing mm-hmm. Startups, uh, Spiral Ventures, Strive as well. Yeah. And of course, Plug and Play as well, right? Right. Yeah. So I would say uh, Indonesia is uh, the follow, sorry, this, the second runner up to right. Singapore, right? Just because of the evidence of the market. Uh, but of course, up and coming ones would be Bangkok and Vietnam uh, because market is also big mm-hmm. and of course they have this young population uh, internet savvy individuals that that is beginning to actually have the spending power to actually you know uh, right. create a good market makes sense yeah so we were, we were just talking about like ipos right and i think what company what country was grabbed from initially Malaysia. Malaysia, right. So I guess as these ecosystems take off, do you think there's a risk that Singapore starts to miss out on some of the companies that will eventually IPO? I would say for now, because we are still leading quite a bit in terms of like infrastructure, uh, ease of doing business, you know, IP laws and protection, political stability and all these factors. I would say that uh, right now, Singapore is still, uh, you know, leading. I don't think we'll miss out part but of course companies are starting to realize that uh, in order to fully capture the market right you have to be in the market so mm-hmm. you, you see uh, companies like grab right they are actually setting up a second headquarters in indonesia and jakarta right yeah. so so that's an interesting trend that uh, that i'm observing as well yeah. got it makes sense and i'm curious like how what do you think singapore is going to do to maintain the advantage it currently has like what can Singapore focus on? Okay, I think uh, Singapore should double down on deep technologies because uh, I think we're the 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 currently we're the only comp uh, sorry we're the only country within the region that is actually able to support that deep technology ecosystem. Hmm. Right. First of all, the grants. Uh, second of all, talent. A common thing uh, across Southeast Asia, especially in the other uh, ecosystems, is that they are not able to find enough technology talents, right? And of course, sometimes visa requirements uh, overseas not as uh, relaxed as Singapore as well. Mm-hmm. So, so that was that is one thing we need to double down and we need to maintain the lead in terms of building that environment that is suitable for deep technologies because in the long run. Deep technologies are the ones that are the technologies that are more um, you know sophisticated and more defensible, right? Mm-hmm. And the, the the other thing is of course initiatives that that help Singapore-based companies uh, access markets outside of Singapore would be a major uh, factor because mm-hmm. Singapore has no market. That we have we've only got five point five million uh, population. Mm-hmm. The key to setting uh, your headquarters in Singapore is that you're able to access um, the surrounding markets. Right. So if, and of course, uh, our government realized that point as well. So, you know, Enterprise Singapore is uh, set up just to do that, to, to help local uh, companies that are based mm-hmm. in Singapore access the, the surrounding markets. So they've been doing a lot of uh, initiatives like bringing uh, companies and startups here in mm-hmm. Singapore to the other markets for trade shows. Yeah. So, these are the two things that I see. Yeah, got it. And then, you know, one big thing, of course, having startups is you need people to actually found the startups. So, how do you think uh, local culture here is around startup formation? Like, are people accepting of new founders? Is it accepted as a career path? 
for people out of college? What are your thoughts on that? I, I think it's 50-50 here right now. If you ask me this question, like maybe uh, you know, a, few, a few years ago, I would say that uh, our culture here is still very traditional, mm-hmm. uh, still very Asian, right? We are mostly uh, Chinese, right? Right. Uh, and uh, back in my, my time when I was in college, uh, our parents mm. would, would want us <laughs> to, to study hard and get a good job in a big corporate and, you know, have a comfortable life. Right. Uh, but I would say that nowadays, millennials uh, are more and more exposed to uh, entrepreneurship and uh, startups and tech with all the uh, the news of, you know, big tech companies uh, doing very well, you know, Facebook and Google offering, you know, right. excellent employee benefits and things like that. There's a shift definitely in terms of traditional to more uh, tech. So I would say that uh, culture is evolving mm-hmm. right now. And uh, of course, the institutes of higher learning, the universities also play a part because right from the beginning and universities, they over, uh, there's all pro- programs around that uh, encourages entrepreneurs. So, yes. Got it. And you mentioned that like, you know, the Facebook and Google success stories are really getting people excited and some parents are hearing those stories. What about for people actually like founding startups, not even just, not just being employed by tech companies, but founding them? Is, do you think there's acceptance there yet? I would say, I, I, I guess some, some families are still quite traditional. Uh, they might face a little bit of resistance in terms of, you know, no, if, if knowing what their sons and daughters are actually trying to start something. Because in general, uh, Singapore is a very uh, education-focused you know, country, right? right. We are, we are, we are, we are bred to actually do well in school studies, right. focusing on studies, and less on you know, taking risks. Right. Yes. So I would say that there's definitely... The older generation still feels that uh, we should actually go into the traditional industries like an engineer, uh, mm. being an engineer, being a doctor or a, a lawyer. But I, I would say that, you know, millennials nowadays, they have a different thinking. So, mm-hmm. yeah. But it's, it's interesting that there's this dichotomy between like what the general culture feels about like people should not be risk takers, but then the government is very much saying you should be a risk taker, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. So I guess government is realizing that risk averse and just trying to change that as well. Got it. Makes sense. And as far as that cultural difference, like, do you see, do you see that playing out differently in other surrounding ecosystems for founders that are coming to Singapore, or do you think that's kind of universal? So cultures uh, in other countries, I would say is, I believe, uh, yeah, I'm not too sure about that, but I believe that uh, the other surrounding ecosystems mm-hmm. are still more traditional than than Singapore. Got it. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I mean, uh, China would be more uh, culturally accepting of startups mm-hmm. because of uh, you know people there being more entrepreneurial. Right. Uh, of course, Silicon Valley, but uh, if you talk about Southeast Asia, I think Singapore is still uh, slightly more culturally conducive. Got it. Entrepreneurship. And do you see entrepreneurs coming here from China as well, or is it mostly Southeast Asia? Mm. I think there's a fair mix. Yeah. Because so usually, usually uh, companies from China that eventually ventures out of China would mm-hmm. be the bigger companies mm-hmm. like the Alibaba, the Baidu, the Tencent, mm-hmm. right? Just because they've already conquered the Chinese market. Yeah. Yeah. So unless they've done that, 
we don't see a lot of Chi- Chinese entrepreneurs actually coming out of China mm. because China market is big enough, right? right? It's it's huge, and they have the the local knowledge, expertise, uh, advantage right. over there, right? Um, so we see a, not a lot of uh, China entrepreneurs yep. that that come out because because of those reasons, but those that do actually come out of China mm-hmm. would be the ones that are really big. Got it. Makes sense. And so they'll generally come out at a later stage when they're ready to expand. Yes, that's right. Got it. And then, so if you're an investor who is looking to, you know, invest in Southeast Asia after investing in another region, what are some things you think you should know? So Southeast Asia or Singapore? Because yeah, let's say um, like if you're looking to invest in like Singapore specifically. Okay. So if you're if you're th- if you're an investor thinking of investing in Singapore-based startups, um, of course things that are that I would take note, uh, whether the startup uh, or the team has mm-hmm. this global or regional mindset, right? Mm-hmm. Because being stuck in Singapore, or rather if you're, if you silo yourself in Singapore, the market is small, mm-hmm. uh, you definitely need to have that global mindset or mm-hmm. regional at least mindset on, on, at the start, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, that should be one criteria. And the other thing is, of course, the product, right? whether mm-hmm. the product is able to find this product market fit in their surrounding regions because uh, Southeast Asia market is actually quite fragmented, right? Different uh, countries have different cultures, languages, you know? Mm-hmm. So uh, finding that product market fit and the ability to localize is going to be key for startups. Got it. Yeah. So it's not like you're saying if you're, if you're investing in Singapore companies, like you're, necess- you're necessarily investing in Southeast Asian companies, right? Because they need to expand to get access to more cash. Yes, yes, of course. (laughs) Got it. That makes sense. Cool. Well, Julian, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. Um, We're going to be looking forward to hearing all of your thoughts on this. So thank you very much. Thanks. 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 Uh, Thanks for inviting me for this podcast. So it's my first time doing a podcast. (laughs) A little bit nervous as well, but you did great. (laughs) Yeah. Hope hope I provided some uh, useful knowledge and insights. For sure. All right, and thank you for listening to the World of Growth podcast. If you have any suggestions for a region we should cover, please feel free to let me know. See you on our next episode.